Welcome back to another episode of our deep dive into the fascinating mazes of memory research. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're unraveling a paper from the respected memory researcher, Lynn J. Lonas, who seeks to understand a simple fact. Why do we remember something better when it's presented more than once? This question is at the heart of a phenomenon known as the repetition effect. And Lonas, hailing from the Department of Psychology at Syracuse University, has focused on understanding how this effect is supported through temporal associations in free recall. Now you might wonder, why should we care how our brain handles a repeated piece of info? Well, figuring this out has huge implications for everything from studying for exams to training programs and beyond. Absolutely, Jen. The crux of Lonas's work lies in a concept called the spacing effect, essentially the longer the time between repetitions of info, the stronger the memory. But the theories explaining why this happens have been a matter of debate. Some theories suggest that when we encounter something familiar, we don't pay as much attention. But as other theories argue, we might also reinforce the memory through a process called study phase retrieval, where recalling an earlier memory instance takes more effort and thus strengthens the memory. Lona's research dives into the heart of these debates by using free recall of lists with repeated items. By focusing on the order in which items are recalled, Lonas infers the underlying memory structures. Her method involves what's known in the biz as a critical transition analysis. It's like watching where one thought leads to the next to determine the association strength between repeated items and their neighbors in the list. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty, starting with experiment one. These participants were given a series of words to remember, some unique and some repeated, after a distraction task, they freely recalled the words. And in experiment two, much was the same, but without the distraction task. This allowed Lonas to see how the distraction or lack thereof had an impact on recall and the associations made. Across both experiments, transitions to a repeated item were more likely to come from words that were studied close in time to its first presentation rather than the second. In essence, it seems the brain's context at the time of the first presentation gets reactivated upon the second, creating stronger associations with the surrounding memories from the initial encounter. Which is a win for the retrieved context theory. Basically, this suggests that when we repeat a word, the brain's context state from the first time we learned it gets updated and strengthens our ability to recall it later. But here's where it gets even juicier. These results also hold up against the possibility of participants forming separate representations of the repeated item, suggesting a kind of integrated memory that prioritizes the first presentation's context. In a nutshell, Lonas's work suggests that our memories are more sophisticated than some theories predicted. It's not just about repetition. It's about the mental context we were in when we first learned something. And this nuanced understanding can be a game-changer in fields like education and cognition. It's about the quality of memory, not just the quantity of exposure. Fascinating work by Lonas, isn't it, Tom? Absolutely, Jen. This paper does a remarkable job of showing us that our memories are intrinsically tied to the temporal states in which they're formed. It's incredibly revealing. Before we wrap up today's episode, let's take a moment to reflect. Learning, it seems, isn't just about repeating facts until they stick. 
it's more sophisticated, involving our brain's context at the time of the learning. That's so important to understand, Jen, because it means that when we're trying to learn or memorize something, we should be mindful about how and when we revisit the material. Not just for students cramming for exams, but for anyone looking to optimize learning and memory. Context matters, and repetition is more than just going over the same ground. It's about strategically weaving information throughout our cognitive tapestry. Are you ready to harness the power of your memory with the coolest, quirkiest method around? Introducing Temporal Tunes, the only service that serenades your cerebral cortex with strategic songs tailored to optimize your memory's temporal associations. Can't remember where you left your keys? There's a jingle for that. Need to ace that medieval history exam but keep mixing up your Henrys? Fear not. Here's a ballad about Henry VIII and his six wives with a catchy chorus you won't forget. With Temporal Tunes, we take Lona's groundbreaking research and turn it into unforgettable melodies. The first time you hear our tune, we'll pair it with your 9 a.m. coffee aroma. Then again, with your afternoon tea. Now, the whiff of caffeine alone will have you humming the tune of your history dates or fundamental physics equations. Subscribe now and get a full year of Temporal Tunes, complete with our patented melodic spacing scheduler, guaranteed to make your memories stick like gum on a hot sidewalk. Temporal Tunes, where the learning never stops because the music never drops. Welcome back to our deep dive series, where we unravel the intricacies of groundbreaking research studies. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today's episode is going to be an intellectually rich journey as we dissect the paper titled The Role of Working Memory in Probabilistic Cueing of Visual Search. A mouthful, but we promise to make it as digestible as possible. Before we dive into the details, we want to ground our discussion with some contextual background and significance. In the realm of cognitive psychology, understanding how we process the constant barrage of visual information is critical. This study focuses on a particular aspect of visual processing known as probabilistic cueing. Probabilistic cueing is fascinating because it's about how we become quicker at finding objects when they frequently appear in certain areas even if we're not consciously aware of it. It's like how you instinctively look at the top right of your computer screen to close a window. Precisely. And the implication here is that this process could be automatic, a sort of habit, which theoretically wouldn't require working memory resources. The study we're covering sets out to challenge the claim that probabilistic cueing is indeed an automatic process. Researchers from the Autonomous University of Madrid designed a series of experiments to determine if working memory, the cognitive function that allows us to hold and manipulate information briefly, plays a role in this process. The key concepts here include working memory, attention, implicit cognition, and visual search, the cornerstones of the study's objectives. And let's talk vocabulary. We'll be throwing around terms like visual target, which is essentially what you're looking for amid distractors, other items that aren't the target. Working memory load is another one. It refers to how much working memory is being used at a given time. And the last one is probabilistic queuing effect, the actual change in search speed due to targets frequently appearing in the same area. Now on to the study's methodology. They recruited participants for three different but related experiments. 
Each experiment varied the type of working memory task administered alongside the visual search tasks. The visual search task had participants find a target among distractors. Unbeknownst to them, the target appeared more often in one region of the display. This is how probabilistic queuing is introduced. Right. For the first group, the visual search was mixed with a working memory task, adding load, while the second group performed the search task with no working memory load. The researchers hypothesized that the no-load group would exhibit a more robust probabilistic queuing effect than the high-load group, who were juggling the visual search with a memory task. Interestingly, their results were mixed. One experiment did confirm the hypothesis, but exploratory analyses revealed that the results were highly dependent on the analytical approach. They concluded that the presence of a secondary working memory task doesn't necessarily impede learning the visual search bias. However, some evidence showed that working memory load did have an effect, suggesting that this attentional bias might require working memory resources after all. Let's touch on the repercussions these findings have. The paper challenges the notion of probabilistic queuing as a purely automatic, habit-driven process, suggesting that working memory might influence our ability to learn and apply these visual search biases. This could reshape how we understand the intersection between attention and memory and has broad implications for everything from designing more effective user interfaces to enhancing learning techniques. In conclusion, the paper provides partial support for the independence of probabilistic queuing from working memory, but it opens the door to potential nuances in how these cognitive processes interact. Reflecting personally, this paper intrigues me because it highlights the complexity of what we often take for granted, how we visually perceive and interact with the world around us. Absolutely, Tom. It's a humbling reminder that human cognition is incredibly nuanced, and even something that seems automatic can be influenced by a range of factors we're just beginning to understand. And that wraps up our detailed journey through the role of working memory in probabilistic cueing of visual search. Stay tuned for more episodes where we dive into the exciting world of cognitive psychology research. Thanks for joining us, and as always, keep thinking deeply. Hey listeners, have you ever struggled to find your car keys or that pesky TV remote? Well, struggle no more. Introducing QMinder, the ingenious new app inspired by the recent groundbreaking study on working memory and visual search. That's right, folks. QMinder turns your ordinary living room into a brain-enhancing search party. With probabilistic queuing technology, it trains your brain to remember where you put stuff by not telling you exactly. Picture this. You open QMinder, and it cheekily hides virtual items around your home on your phone screen. Next thing you know, you're finding your belongings twice as fast because your working memory is now working for you. It's weirdly fun. You'll never lose your keys again. Or if you do, it could just be the app playing tricks on you for funsies. And don't worry about multitasking. Want to cook, watch TV, and find your glasses at the same time? QMinder includes the memory overload mode, nudging your working memory into overdrive. It's like having a personal trainer for your brain, but instead of lifting weights, you're lifting the fog on where your dog hit his bone. Download QMinder today and say goodbye to aimless searching. Now your brain and eyes can play hide-and-seek like pros. And remember, 
With QMinder, lost and found is just a brain game away. Terms and conditions apply. Not responsible for increased sibling rivalry due to competitive searching. Welcome everyone to another deep dive episode where we unpack groundbreaking scientific papers and illuminate their potential impact on our understanding of the human mind and wellness. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're unfolding a particularly enlightening paper titled Enlightening the Mind, Comparing Stroboscopic Stimulation and Meditation for Mood and Cognition Enhancement. This study could potentially shift our perspective on technology's role in enhancing mental states. Indeed, Jen. Authored by Johnson, Simonian, and Regente, this research emerges from the concerted efforts at the Institute for Advanced Consciousness Studies in Santa Monica, California, and Johns Hopkins University's Department of Biostatistics. It brings into focus the effects of stroboscopic stimulation. This involves a rhythmic emission of flashing lights at specific frequencies, which can elicit a range of sensory or cognitive responses. Let's not overlook that the study also positions stroboscopic stimulation next to meditation, a millennia-old practice revered for its mental, cognitive, and physical health benefits. The curiosity doesn't end there. The paper highlights the concept of technodelics. Tom, can you expand on that? Sure. Technodelics, sometimes known as cyberdelics, refer to technologies designed to induce experiences similar to psychotropic substances, but without pharmacological intervention. The idea here is to leverage technology to mimic states of altered consciousness traditionally achieved through substances like LSD or psilocybin. Now, on to the crux of the research. The study has a broad objective with a central aim to test whether stroboscopic stimulation, both with and without binaural beats, can improve mood and cognitive function compared to breath-focused meditation. Right, the methodology was thorough. They worked with a large sample size of 262 individuals and used a double-blind, fully randomized experimental design, the gold standard in research, to ensure robust, reliable results. As for the findings, strikingly, both stroboscopic stimulation variants led to significant improvements in numerous self-reported mood states, reducing negative affects like anxiety and depression, and enhancing performance in cognitive tasks sensitive to mood. Surprisingly, it seems that just about five and a half minutes of stroboscopic stimulation might be as beneficial, if not more so, than longer meditation sessions. This point was pivotal, considering the daunting attrition rates seen in regular meditation practices. The implications? Stroboscopic stimulation using devices like the electronic light array or ELA might just be a groundbreaking, non-invasive alternative for mental health therapy. Wrapping up, the conclusions this study articulates are eye-opening, catapulting stroboscopic stimulation into the limelight as a potentially more accessible mood-enhancing tool. Personal reflections? Well, this research paves the way for incredible advancements not only in the world of mental health interventions, but also in our broader understanding of consciousness. Absolutely, Jen. The paper is a beckoning light indicating that the confluence of technology and ancient meditative practices can indeed enlighten our minds in ways previously unimagined. Have the gray skies of your mind been lingering a little too long? Do you find yourself envying the mood stability of a caffeinated squirrel? Fear no more, because here at Blinksen, we say out with the old meditation cushions and in with the new age mind disco. 
That's right, folks. With our patented Enlight-O-Matic goggles, you too can flash away the frowns and turbo-boost your brain power. Just strap in, select your desired mood, and experience a light show so beneficial, it's like a spa day for your synapses. Forget sweating in silence for hours on end. Now you can brighten your day in the time it takes to cook instant noodles. The Enlight-O-Matic goggles, because who needs to meditate when you can percolate? Visit BlinkZen.com and use promo code FLASHYTHOUGHTS for a dazzling discount on your very own Enlightomatic goggles today. Side effects may include spontaneous smiling, excessive enlightenment, and a newfound love for disco music. BlinkZen is not responsible for any spontaneous dance parties resulting from use. BlinkZen, where the path to nirvana is just a blink away. Welcome back, folks. Today's episode is rather intriguing as we explore the psychology of children and their grasp of truth and deception. We're diving headfirst into a paper that's creating ripples in the realm of developmental psychology. That's right, Tom. The paper we're discussing is titled Detecting Lies Through Others' Eyes. Children Use Perceptual Access Cues to Evaluate Listeners' Beliefs About Informants' Deception. A mouthful, but definitely a fascinating read. Conducted by researchers Cleo Tay, Nong Rei, Nina Nye, and Xiaopan Ding from the National University of Singapore and Boston University. Before we unpack the findings, let's set the stage with some contextual background. Now, why is this paper so crucial in its field? Simply put, it investigates a novel aspect of children's discernment of truth and deception, not directly, but through their understanding of how an observer interprets an informant's claims. Spot on, Tom. Kids often find themselves as third-party observers in conversations and must navigate social interactions based on not just what they know, but also what they perceive others to know. This paper's significance lies in its attempt to understand how kids gauge whether an informant is being truthful or deceptive from the perspective of a listener in the conversation. In terms of key concepts, the paper builds on the foundation of selective trust, theory of mind, which involves understanding that others have beliefs, desires, and knowledge that might differ from our own, and executive function, which includes working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility. Now, to clarify some complex terms for our listeners, theory of mind is essentially the capacity to comprehend that other people have their own mental states, thoughts, beliefs, and intentions. Meanwhile, Executive function is like the command center of our brain that helps us manage our thoughts and actions. Let's dig deeper into what the research set out to do. The objective was to see if children, aged between four to seven years, use cues about a person's perceptual access to information. In short, whether the receiver could see or was aware of the actual event, to predict if they would consider an informant as deceptive. To accomplish this, they used a modified version of a sticker-hiding game and layered it with situational cues to determine how the children would interpret a receiver's belief about an informant's truthfulness or deceit. When the receiver had direct knowledge, meaning they peaked during the sticker placement, children were asked to predict if the receiver would think the informant is lying. Exactly. But the intriguing part comes when the receiver is ignorant, as in they did not peak. Here, the children's predictions about the receiver's beliefs really show their grasp of the complexity of human psychology. They employed a within-subjects experimental design to keep all other variables constant. 
Their methodology was meticulous, I must say, and the findings were revealing. Notably, when the receiver was knowledgeable, children accurately predicted the receiver's disbelief in the informant's lie. However, their predictions that the receiver would believe the informant when the receiver was ignorant was influenced by their theory of mind and executive function capabilities. Let's ponder on the implications of these insights. This study suggests that from a young age, children are already adept at incorporating others' knowledge states into their social reasoning. Recognizing when someone can be deceived and when they can't, it's a vital skill for navigating the tricky terrains of social interaction and communication. Agreed, the potential impact of these findings is widespread. It touches on education, parenting, and even informing interventions for children who might have difficulties with social cognition. It's now not enough to recognize truth and lies. Kids must also predict how others would interpret these within a social context. As for our conclusion, we've seen kids as young as four exhibit intricate social understanding through their guesses about what a listener believes regarding an informant's word. The involvement of theory of mind and executive function highlights that comprehending deception isn't just an emotional skill, it's cognitive. And personally, Tom, this research not only enlightens us on the complexity of child cognition, but also raises awareness about the critical role of cognitive development in understanding the social world. This can't be understated in the grand tapestry of human psychology. Absolutely. That wraps up today's deep dive. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Until next time, keep those minds sharp and those conversations insightful. Are you tired of playing the eternal game of are they lying or not? Introducing Lil Lie Lookout, the board game inspired by the groundbreaking research on children's lie detection. Perfect for family game nights, Lil Lie Lookout lets your kids become mini deception detectives as they guess who's fibbing and who's telling the truth. Watch in amazement as your seven-year-old calls out Uncle Jerry for bluffing about who ate the last cookie. With a spinner, lie cards, and secret envelopes, each round is a hilarious blend of bluffing and giggles. Educators and parents rejoice. Lil Lie Lookout isn't just wildly entertaining, it's also sneakily teaching your kids about social cognition and the power of perception. Don't wait for the truth to come out. Snag your Lil Lie Lookout game today and transform your tykes into lie-detecting legends. Disclaimer, Lil Lie Lookout is not responsible for any family squabbles or your kid calling out your Sant is real fib. Play with caution. And remember, it's just a game. Welcome back, listeners, to another deep dive on our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and joining me as always is the ever-knowledgeable Jen. Glad to be here, Tom. Today, we're taking an enthralling journey through a realm of research that's been gaining incredible traction in both scientific circles and public discourse the psychedelic experience. That's right, Jen. We are discussing a research paper that delves into how individuals quantify the meaning derived from psychedelic experiences. The paper we are referring to is titled Reproducing the Psychedelic Experience, one of the five most meaningful experiences in life, led by researchers Petri J. Kajonius, David Sjöström, and Emma Claesdotter Knutsen from Lund University in Sweden. The resurgence of interest in psychedelics is impossible to overlook. 
This doesn't just stem from curiosity, but also the potential these substances have shown in dealing with several psychological issues, as well as promoting well-being and personal growth. Indeed, Jen. The study we're unpacking today took a closer look at Swedish psychedelic users via a questionnaire-based survey, aiming to understand if these individuals also regarded their experiences as one of the most meaningful events of their lives. We're delving deep into their methodology, findings, and what this could all mean for the future use of psychedelics. So without further ado, let's trip into the core of this paper. The heart of this study hinges on the profound impact that psychedelic substances, such as psilocybin, LSD, and DMT, appear to have on their users. Noted for their serotonin-altering properties, these substances have been linked to experiences described as highly meaningful and often compared to life-defining events like childbirth or marriage. These aren't just any run-of-the-mill substances. We're talking about compounds capable of invoking experiences that some rate among their most significant life events. No small feat. The paper we're dissecting today reveals a staggering 58% of users rating their psychedelic experience in the top five most meaningful experiences, with a whopping 85% placing it in the top 10. Indeed, Jen. And these experiences may bring about improved life quality and increased happiness, which could contrast the adversity usually associated with drug use. What's remarkable is their reported safety profile, low on dependence, toxicity, or fatal overdose risk. Let's also consider the setting of this research, Tom. Sweden has a notoriously stringent approach to drug policy. This study managed to conduct a survey where it's a cultural challenge just to discuss, let alone partake in, such experiences. The methodology, too, is intriguing. Participants were found through social media platforms and completed the questionnaire anonymously. Considering the legal context in Sweden, this approach maximized the number of responses. The survey asked questions about the nature of their experiences, with special attention to factors like the meaningfulness compared to other life events, the challenging nature of the experience, mystical qualities, and potential negative effects. They also explored personality traits, because who you are may play a fundamental role in how you perceive these experiences. This is where the concept of openness comes into play, showing a strong correlation with profound mystical experiences. Absolutely, Tom. The concept of setting the right environment and preparing oneself mentally appeared to be key. Factors like personal growth intentions, support from friends or family, and having a guide present were positively associated with the richness of the psychedelic experience and subsequent improvements in life and personal well-being. Now, let's be clear on the constraints of this study. Being a survey rooted in self-reported data, it's subject to biases and inaccuracies, this means we can't make any concrete causal claims. However, the overall consistency with existing literature gives weight to these fascinating insights. That's our core summary, and it seems we're looking at a realm with vast potential, not just for individuals, but possibly for societal well-being. We'll be right back after a short break to discuss the possible implications and applications of these findings. Stay with us. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Are you ready to elevate your bucket list with an experience that's out of this world? Introducing... In a theatrical booming voice, Psyche Delight Trips. That's right, folks. Psyche Delight Trips is your new go-to travel agency. 
not to exotic lands, but to the most mysterious corners of your mind. Picture this. Five-star rated mystical journey packages, each one tailored to your personal voyage preferences. Want to journey inward while lounging on a beanbag? Check. Prefer a Sherpa-guided trek through your subconscious Himalayas? Double-check. Each package comes with a mystical experience rating, so you know just how deep into the rabbit hole you'll go. Plus, with our exclusive setting setter option, you can customize your trip environment. Choose from Enchanted Forest Twilight, Beachside Serenity, or the ever-popular Cosmic Star Canopy. And don't forget about our trained trip sitters. They're kind of like lifeguards, but for your soul. They'll make sure your existential swimming doesn't turn into metaphysical drowning. With Psyche Delight Trips, you no longer have to climb Mount Everest for a life-changing moment. Just pop in, lay back, and transcend ordinary reality with the comfort of knowing each trip might just be. Both? One of the top five most meaningful experiences of your life. In a comically fast disclaimer voice, Psyche Delight trips are not responsible for any existential crises or sudden urges to name your pets after Greek philosophers. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. I have to say, Tom, I'd consider signing up if I wasn't absolutely terrified of meeting a version of myself that likes pineapple on pizza. <laughs> Stick around, folks. When we return, we'll be jumping back into the discussion of the psychedelic experience with expert insights. <music> 